Hey, good morning. Welcome to Kesed. I'm so glad that you, uh, that you are here. Um, before I dive in too much further, my Bible is back with somebody back there. I don't know, I don't know where it is, but I need it because, like, sort of a big deal. Um, listen, I am so grateful that you came, especially for uh, some of you who—thank you. Some of you who, uh, uh, you know, churches, it, it holds a weird space. It holds a, just, a, just kind of a difficult space because, if we're honest, uh, a lot of us have been hurt by it. And so uh, I guess— I just want to recognize that throughout this series, as we have talked about this, uh, I have heard from a lot of you that uh, the difference that we're celebrating, which is what this series is about, has actually been uh, sometimes you feeling different, sometimes you feeling like you don't fit and you don't belong. And so I just want to remind us that this church, this, this space that we're holding together, uh, is a space for people who are spiritually curious, for people who are spiritually thriving, for people who are spiritually hurt, for people who don't even know exactly why they're here, but as we say, a pretty girl invited you and you just showed up because you're like, well, I don't know, she just talked me into coming. Uh, a space for people who are really passionate about uh, discovery and, um, and a space for people who uh, are really, really passionate about Jesus. And so all those things can exist inside a space like this, especially in a series talking about celebrating difference. Uh, we called the series Black Licorice because... Um, we, we needed something that would be a really obvious sharp line down the middle, you know, separating one from the other. And I, I want to say that um, this church very much appreciates and likes red licorice more than black licorice, if I was going to just give you the, the results of the quiz and all the other things that we took. But that's just because some of you haven't given black licorice the try you're supposed to. So I just, I just want you to know that um, I just want you to know that uh, I'm just honored that we were willing to just take little things like that, black and red licorice, and also some really heavy topics and, and parse those things out. And I'm, um, I was honored to walk with you through it. So today's the close. Before I dive into it, uh, let me just talk about the coming uh, few weeks of holidays. Uh, we have Palm Sunday coming up here soon, so uh, I just want to encourage you, show up early, be respectful where you park, wave to neighbors as you, as you go by. Uh, they are definitely watching, and uh, it's a big deal to us to be, to be good neighbors. Um, after that, we have uh, a Good Friday service, and this is the first Good Friday we're going to have at both campuses. So here, which is where I'll be, and then uh, Chris will be over at Columbia. And for those of you who try Thursdays as well, there'll be no Thursday service. We do a Thursday weekend service every single week. And, uh, but there'll be no Thursday because, of course, we have Good Friday. Uh, after that will be Easter weekend, and uh, Easter weekend we'll have a Saturday service, which is something unique we do for Easter. If there's any way that you can come to Saturday instead of this service specifically, uh, we would love to have you do that because this service will be absolutely packed. Um, but if this is your home service and this is where you feel that, that you're supposed to invite friends and be, then show up and sit in the aisle. I don't care. It's going to be fine. Um, one last thing. Um, our building is just about finished, all three floors. We have been in a remodel for the past few years, and uh, Pastor Tom has been leading that. And so uh, we're going to do an open house coming up here very soon. I think the dates are up there, Monday, April 17th from 5 to 8, all three floors. So if you want to come and tour, maybe you've been going here a long time, you've never seen the upstairs and all that's done, or the newly remodeled downstairs, but uh, every square foot of this place will have been uh, rewired, retouched, re-insulated, re-everything. And uh, once again, we are so grateful to the First Baptist folks for uh, their willingness to see the kingdom 
beyond themselves and their willingness to, uh, to participate with us, letting us take this church and uh, give it a lot of love. And then as you already know, to eventually just give the whole thing away because that's what we're going to do just like they did. We're going to give it to the next generation and we hope it will, uh, it will last another hundred plus years. Yes? Okay. So let me dive in. So opening quote, this series, I've been saying this every week, I'm going to say it again, is about learning to acknowledge, appreciate, and even celebrate the differences of those around us. We uh, used a lot of words that, that kind of added definition to that word difference. Words like black and white, comparison, contradiction, disagreement, variation, antithesis, contradistinction, contrarity, incompatibility, inverse, unlikeness, adverse, and so on. You saw those words kind of flashing during that ridiculous and silly and incredibly unneeded intro video that we just played. But we have spent the last few weeks talking about this because of one simple thing, and that is that sitting in a place of true unity is just really, really hard. Now, we don't realize it as often because most of us naturally kind of drift towards spaces and rooms and even friendships with people who see the world like us. So maybe we don't experience disunity as often as we think until you bring somebody with an incredibly different worldview and plop them down in the center of your life. Then suddenly there becomes an awkwardness to the relationship. There becomes a a difference between them and you and, 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 and where your boundaries are and where their boundaries are and, and so on. And so we have been unpacking this over and over and over again because it is so rare to experience. Uh, I want to say that uh, even though we've been doing this for five weeks, I continue to get emails with people who want to share with me they just don't even feel there's a need to talk about unity especially celebrating unity, because it's a slippery slope, I quote. I'm not sharing who the slippery sloper is, but <laughs> there was some slippery slope conversations happening where people were like, Ugh, like how far does this go, and where does it stop, and like how much do I have to accept, and, and, and when, do, when does my opinion start to matter, and so I decided somewhere along the way that I was never actually going to have unity even about the topic of celebrating unity because it's such a difficult space for us to walk through. I had some other people who enjoyed the topic, but they wanted to warn me that, uh, that this series could be doing more harm than good. That we're having awkward and uncomfortable conversations in our homes, and like some of us just barely have peace, right? If you have adult children like me, you, you, sometimes you just barely maintain peace, and then you start talking about unity, and it's like, well, are we even going to have Christmas now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got your emails. I got your, I got your, uh, your information. People were worried that, uh, that this might tear us apart. And so I, after receiving these for a few weeks, um, I'm just going to confess for all my boldness, uh, I actually started to wonder if this series was doing any good. I started to ask questions around the idea of uh, maybe I misheard God. Maybe I misunderstood because this really seems to be stirring the nest more than I thought it would. I actually, at the, at the lowest point, remember telling God this is costing me more than I agreed to pay, bro. <laughs> I want to talk about unity. I don't want to talk about disunity. I seem to be spending all of our, my time talking about disunity. I want to talk about the fact that God has said they will know you by your unity, by the fact that you're different than everybody else, but all anybody wants to talk about is what they drag into the ring with them. 
and not about the other person they're actually fighting. And so I prayed about it. It's like a thing I do. And I prayed, and I prayed, and I got other people praying, and the only thing I got back in response was, bro, this is my way, chill. That's how God talks to me, by the way. That's how he rolls with, with Danny. He's like, dude, just relax. Like, this is, this is how we do it. This is what matters. Then something happened. I decided to settle in and take my lumps, and I preached a, a talk called Discord. And I preached it with great passion and articulation. And when I was done, I knew that I offended some of the folks that that go to our church, maybe even some of you. But I preached it anyways because I felt like that's what God asked me to do. And when I got off stage, I felt obedient, but I didn't feel safe, if you know what I mean. (laughs) And whenever I feel unsafe, I have a really bad habit of just running towards that thing that, that... that is dangerous. It's not a bravery thing. It's just that I just am going to be scared fast. I just want to get it over with. I'm just going to get it over with. And I'm going to, I'm going to just face it. I'm going to deal with it. And so the doors were open. I was doing my after service thing. And I looked out in the lobby, which is on the way to my office. And I saw what I'm just going to call a circle of truth. And it was like nine or 10 church members just all in a big circle. And they were not smiling. And so I thought, Well, I guess that's a conversation I'm supposed to join. So in the midst of their circle, I just walked in and I said, hello. And they said, hello. (laughs) And I just stood there and then one of them said, well, I guess that sermon was meant for us. And I said, I don't know who the Holy Spirit meant it for. (laughs) But if it hurt your feelings, then, then maybe. And then another gentleman who I respect a lot said, you know, I didn't like this series when you started it. As a matter of fact, I was pretty angry. And I was like, really? And then he goes, but after today, I'm realizing there's some stuff in my heart that I I do need to work on. And and I'm just really glad I can be in a church that even though I don't agree with all this, I still feel a part. And And that, I felt, was the Holy Spirit's, I guess, signal to me that we are doing what we're supposed to do even when it feels too hard. So for those of you in the room that this has felt hard, this has felt difficult, I am so thankful that you're still in the room. I'm so thankful that you're part of this house of conversation. I'm so thankful that, that, that you were willing to be obedient and participate in a conversation that maybe you thought was 90% rubbish. But there's that 10%, you know, that 10% where God wants to meet you and talk with you and share with you and teach you and convict you. I know for me it's an even higher percentage. I have been convicted throughout this series um, from the beginning about some stuff I've got to address and some things I need to change in my own worldview. But I'm just thankful that you are so willing to be a part of it. So, since this is the close, and actually the very last service, I'm just going to give you all that I have left and lay all my cards on the table. Because the nine o'clock service was recorded and it went really, really well. So we don't have to use this one at all if it goes sideways. <laughs> Which means there's no, no gloves today for you folks. So if you haven't been disappointed, you're about to be. Today I wanna to talk with you about what holding the space of difference will cost us. Today I wanna to make it super, super personal. Sometimes I'm like, 
most of the time, I'm like, hey, listen, the gospel, it's not like coming after just you. It's everybody. Today, it's just about you. It's not about anybody else but you. So as you listen to the talk today, please know, I, with God, built it just for you. Not your frustrated spouse or the person at work that could hear it. Just you and what you're dealing with right now and me. Because the space of difference is going to cost you. And the sooner you and I accept it, the sooner you and I can pay it and get on with the mission that God has in hand. If you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 4. That's where I'm going to start. This is a Jesus story. It's quite simple and quite straightforward. Really, really hard to argue with. That's why I picked it. It says that Jesus has left his hometown, the place he was at for many, many, many years. In that town, he was known as a carpenter's son. He built a lot of people's tables, helped a lot of people out in a lot of different ways, and they knew him, and he was kind, and he was gentle, and they thought well of him. But then he left, and somewhere out in the great big world, he was baptized by a very well-known prophet, and suddenly his presence changed, and word began to spread about this person that was, that was proclaiming to be the son of God, that was proclaiming to be this person who could change, transform, and bring life to people. He did his first round, his first mission, if you will, and then he went home. His mom was there, his brothers, his sisters, and even his church. And so he's visiting home with this idea about him now out in the world, and he decides to do what he usually does and go to church. Luke 14, verse 16 is where we'll pick it up. The name of Jesus' hometown is Nazareth. It says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. This is what he read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then I love this verse 20 because it brings such beautiful context, such full color to the black and white text. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And then it says, the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. I believe this is by far the most awkward long pause in the entire Bible. The next person to talk is going to be Jesus. I wonder how long he sat there with him doing what I'm going to call changing the room. He knew what they thought of him. He knew they knew him as a, as a child, as a teenager, as a young man. He knew they came with all their preconceived ideas about everything that they had heard that now he said he was. As a matter of fact, let me just get personal for a second because that's the theme of today. Every person in this room has preconceived ideas about what you thought of him. Every person in this room. Whether it's the church you grew up with that hurt you, the parent who upheld the Bible but never really lived it out, the, the earlier relationship you had with God and he just flat let you down. Every person in this room has a preconceived idea about Jesus Christ, even if it's the lowest of the low of the low, which is that he was just a historical figure who happened to write well, and teach well, and live well. 
So Jesus is going to do here the same thing he did there. He's going to change the room, and apparently he does it through a really long, awkward pause. It's horrible, isn't it? I know. I know. Let's just go another seven minutes. Let's just... (laughs) Eventually, even Jesus can't stand it, so he decides to go ahead and continue on. It says, and he began to say to them, this is Jesus. He says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And then they said, this is what we all do. They tried to box him into what they knew. Wait, isn't this Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said to you, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. He would say, you won't receive me if I do miracles. You won't receive me because you've already boxed me in. And yes, I have created this, this room so that it can change. And frankly, what I'm doing now is inviting you into a whole new space, a whole new way of seeing me. He's saying, your ways aren't my way. Your rules aren't my rules. Things are going to be different now. I'm not the boy you thought I was. But he knows their mind is playing games on them, just like ours is in here. Maybe emotionally and mentally, we're just crossing our arms like, whatever. And so Jesus goes on. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. When the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. He's giving stories from their own lives, from their own religious context of opportunities and times when God's people didn't see what was right in front of them. And so God moved in their midst with people who were different. There were people during the time of Elijah that were of God's people, but God helped somebody outside God's people. There were people during the time of famine where God's people could have used the rain, but God helped people outside of God's people. He's saying, any of you all remember those times that God didn't help his own people due to their own self-righteousness and help those deemed less worthy instead? Yeah, this is one of those times. And everything in their body revolted at this God who claimed to know them so well. It says, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. This is Jesus holding available the space he created and them red-faced, kicking and screaming to get out of it. And they wanted out of it because Jesus was proclaiming something that would continue to get him rejected and eventually killed for the next three years, and that is, I came for the different. That is, you can't earn your way into a relationship with God. You could be the most perfect church attender, know all the verses, know all the words, 
And as you're about to see, it will not matter if you don't hear what Jesus is saying in this text. See, this is, this is a personal message, especially for people who've been following Jesus a long time, because whether you know it or not, and this goes for me as well, I box him in with how he is and what he does and where he goes and how he leads. And every once in a while, he includes people that I'm like, I don't, I don't know if that's somebody I want to do life with Jesus. And he's like, I know, that's why you're going to do some life with him, Danny. Because it reminds me that Jesus isn't after more people like me. He's after more people who understand what it means to be on the outside and to want to be part of his community and his purpose. Jesus is after the forgotten. He's after the ones who don't feel like they have a seat at the table. He's after unity, church. Really, really hard to find unity. I started this entire series uh, in 1 Corinthians. And it was a title of a chapter called One Body with Many Members. If you remember, it's kind of like a dissertation by Paul to the church in Corinth, all around the incredible importance of embracing our differences. And he does it through describing how the body works in unison, although it has different parts. Here's just two verses of it. For just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And all were made to drink of one spirit, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Paul goes on to illustrate how the way our different body parts works together is an example of how we as a community are supposed to work together. He then summarizes the entire thing in verse 27 when he says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. That was the whole opening talk is that this message is personal, that we are all part of the body. You don't get to be like, well, I'm not yet part of the body. I'm like a dismembered part of the body that I then could be used in a way, but then I detach myself and I'm, nope, not according to scripture. You're all supposed to be, we are all supposed to be part of this body functioning how we are made. Now, this was the last part of the passage I read from week one, but that's not the end of the passage or the completion of the thought. It goes on. We'll start with verse 27 again so you can see how it flows. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God's, God has appointed in the church, and then he gives a list of beautiful parts of the body and what they do. Appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. This list is epic. And wonderful. And they're all of different roles within the, church, within the church body, each designed to work in unison with the other. And yet, what did I say at the beginning? Unison is an unbelievably rare thing, especially for Christians, and even more especially around the sacred gifts that are supposed to exist within the church. So we're all supposed to be part of the church. We're all part of the body. And within that, we all have different roles. And yet, because unity is so rare and so difficult to, to sit in together, these very things will actually become the things that define different churches from different people, from different things, and who's in and who's out. And suddenly, it'll be like, hey, here's the deal. If you 
you don't speak tongues, you're not saved. Hey, here's the deal. If you can't perform miracles, do you really have any faith? Hey, here's the deal. How well do you know your Bible? Knowledge is what matters. And so we'll have knowledge churches. And we'll have tongue churches. And we'll have, we'll have miracle churches. And we'll have prophecy churches. And then we'll have like hybrid churches that are sort of a little bit of one and, and, and a mix of the other. And then we'll have churches that like fully refuse all of them because they're like, I don't want disunity. I want to be unified. So therefore, I'm not going to embrace anything God says about how his church should run. In the name of unity, I accept no <laughs> truth. It's absurd. It's absurd. But it's the definition of why we struggle with the unity, and Paul knows it. So he adds something to it, just so we all know that it's not supposed to work exactly how we think it should. He knows about these beautiful gifts, and he knows they're very different from one another. And so he knows the church will constantly experience tension around them when he writes. Are all apostles, the answer is no, by the way. Are all prophets, so those of you in the room who felt pressure to prophesy, you're released. <laughs> in the name of Jesus and the Bible. Are all teachers? Nope. Do all work miracles? Nope. Do all possess gifts of healing? Nope. Do all speak the tongues? Nope. Do all interpret? Nope. And then he says this, and this is where it's going to get really, really hard for some of you, and I'm so excited for it. But earnestly, Desire the higher gifts. He said the gifts are important. We're not minimizing the gifts with what's about to happen next in the text. Desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. He says, you're part of one body. You're all going to have different roles within that body that you should hone and practice. And, and, and they should become part of what is peace-giving to you because you know you're living out your calling, your purpose with the way God made you to be part of his body. This is, again, very much so for people who call this their church or feel led. For those of you who are spiritually curious, just soak this stuff in because this applies to your life in a different way. But for those of us who consider Jesus our God and a church, a place where we are supposed to enact that relationship with him, let me just say there is a still more excellent way than even living out your gifts in the fullest. He's saying that even within the church, this next lesson needs to be hammered into the minds of people. He's saying what Jesus said to that room full of religious folk. He's saying, hey, these things are all beautiful that you do. These things are all beautiful that you know. All the ways you even think about God, there's probably a way in which God can meet you in that space. But there is a higher, more beautiful way. He's saying, let me change the room and invite you into the space. And then he flows directly into the next chapter with a long description of what that more excellent way is. Ready? If I speak in the tongues of men, look how he starts breaking down each gift and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. 
If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. And if you're like, well, what is love? Great question. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And love never ends. And then he goes after a whole new level. As for prophecies, they will pass away. Hmm. As for tongues, they will cease. Uh Uh-oh. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And then he does this huge, giant, hey, guess what? It's time to grow up, folks. Verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Verse 13, this is a gift for some of you. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So let me just... First, I'll read this, and then I'm just going to go off, just going to, just a little bit off the rails, just a little bit, just a tiny bit. Here's the quote, anytime you and I decide to be as Christ is and hold the space of difference available to other people, it will cost us love. This is still the more excellent way of Jesus, and this is exactly the reason why we so rarely get to experience it, because I'm just going to be honest, for some of us, it's just too high a price. But according to God, according to the way that he has made you, if you memorized every single word in this book, if you were the deepest, richest theologian and could outthink anybody else on the planet, but didn't have love, you are useless to the kingdom. If you could speak in any language to anyone, specifically to the thing in their lives, you had a combo gift, right? Like you were tongues and prophecy just trying to stretch it big. And you could walk into any room in any situation and be like, God wants me to tell you something. But you did it without love. He literally calls you a noisy gong that a child would make with a toy, a symbol that just clangs and clangs and clangs and clangs. And people are like, can someone please remove her from our community? Her. <laughs> I told you it's gonna get personal. if you could heal people think think this through for a second if you could heal people and and not just people like their hearts their emotions the deepest things actually physically just walk in and heal somebody's broken body of disease or wounds or whatever it is that's terrorizing them and you did it without love it's useless It is all useless because love is the very thing 
that gives us the ability to hold space with people, to change rooms with people, to, to set down our preconceived ideas about the way God moves. Because if we follow God and his love into each awkward pause, into each room, into each situation, then we will be exactly what he wants us to be. And guess what? It could just be a hand on a shoulder. It could be sitting next to someone while they sob. It could be coffee in a napkin and going, you know, I don't know either, but I'm here. It's this idea that holding love is what transforms people. And we don't have a space filled to the brim with unity, not because we don't want it, not because we're not trying, not because we won't sit in the tension and be curious about our differences and all those different things. At the end of the day, and it is offensive to you and to me, and I'm going first, the reason I don't have the unity I want is because I don't want to pay the cost of loving someone different than me. That's it. I have, whenever I've preached this passage, there's one story that has forever marked my soul about what it means for someone to hold the space of love for me. And it was many years ago when my wife and I uh, felt called to be missionaries overseas and we were going to go live a whole year in New Zealand. We knew nobody there. And I flew ahead of her, and I found a home, and I found a job, and I started the groundwork. And she uh, arranged everything back home and put our house for sale and cars and all that difficult stuff. And then I came back. And we both knew that leaving our friends, putting our house for sale, getting rid of our stuff, all those things would pale in comparison to having to cross the ocean with our youngest daughter, Elena. She was a terror as a child. And I don't mean like, oh, that's cute. I mean like terror. She had her own opinion about everything. She wanted to do everything her own way. This whole thing you see up here when she sings and she helps and she leads and she does stuff in kids, it's all a facade. There's somebody else inside. <laughs> There's somebody else inside. I'm just telling you, I don't know where it went, but it's there. I remember one time we were trick-or-treating with Elena. I've shared this before. We were walking along, and Aaron put me in charge of watching the group of kids go to each doors, and the group of kids just got bigger and bigger and bigger, and not even our kids, just neighborhood kids door-to-door, and like all of a sudden, Aaron turns around. She's like, where's Elena? I'm like, she's right, I don't know. So she's like, Danny. And I'm like, I, I don't know where she is. And so we go back to each door, each door, each door, each door. And we went like five houses back and another group of kids walked up and they answered the door. And I'm not lying. My daughter was sitting between two strangers. She didn't even know drinking a Pepsi out of a straw, giving other kids candy. <laughs> She's two and a half. This is a picture of her when we crossed the ocean. <laughs> and that is her all the time. She doesn't like, oh, calm down. Nope, that's just her. Wake up, go to bed. And we were nervous. We were nervous that we would, she was just so different than my other children. She was so different than, than even the kids I had been traveling back and forth as I, uh, as I was doing my, my, my church stuff. I just never really came across anybody like her. And I remember we felt bad about it. Like we didn't know what to do as parents. So she was very calm which we knew was scary when we got to the airport to board our flight. And she looked around and decided she wanted candy or something. And so we said, no, you're not going to have candy. It's like we were doing a red eye. It was very late. And she's like, no, I want candy. We're like, you're not having candy. And all of a sudden, never before has she done this. I don't understand the brilliance of her brain. She just started yelling to people, these aren't my parents. <laughs> these aren't my parents. 
going into customs. We had officers surrounding us, and she's looking at me like, should have given me those Mike and Ike, shouldn't you? And now, I've never been so angry at a human being in my life. Like all 26 pounds were, I was so upset. We showed them our passports. They actually let us stay off the plane so we could board last, which is only more embarrassing, just a walk of shame when they're finally like, and now you, sir. <laughs> we walked on the plane, and Elena, Elena's kicking and screaming and doing all her flailing, and you can just see everybody's faces. They're like, please don't sit next to me. Please don't sit next to me. <laughs> we got about three-quarters of the way back, and we sat uh, in the middle, and uh, everybody, of course, was, was looking at us with very unkind eyes. And frustration as Lainey cried through dinner and then cried through movie time and then cried as the lights went off and it was time for the cabin to go to sleep and Lainey was like, absolutely not. Erin <laughs> became emotionally and physically exhausted and so she ended up being able to get a little rest while I held Lainey in the aisle and tried to rock her, also trying not to threaten to choke her out so that she would just <laughs> go to sleep. People would huff and move and look and huff and all the different things, you know except for one woman. There was a heavy-set, grandmotherly-aged Maori woman, a, a native New Zealand woman that was sitting just across the aisle from me. And her eyes were different than everyone else's from the time we sat down. And in the midst of that, that dark time, about 15 minutes in, when Lainey hadn't gotten calm, uh, I ended up just looking at this woman who was looking back at me. And then she did this. And I was like, are you, absolutely you can take this child. And I threw her. I just tossed her in. Said, I'm done. <laughs> I, I gently picked up my kicking, screaming child and handed that kicking, screaming child to this woman I'd never met who took her. Lainey, of course, panicked, looked at me, looked at them, and I said with my eyes, you deserve this. <laughs> she took Elena and she kind of like pressed her into her body. She had, I remember she had this full color kind of uh, uh, native gown on and she just pressed Lainey into her body and then she began to like talk to her in, in Maori. And she began to like kind of, kind of rock with her and then she sang this really quiet song and Lainey's looking around and I was like, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> and within about 90 seconds to two minutes, my daughter was open mouth passed out on the shoulder and chest of this grandma. You see, Elena represented my difference. I didn't fit in. I didn't belong. I had anxiety, and most likely my little girl was picking up on what Aaron and I were dealing with, which was, did we make a right choice? Is this the right move? How are we going to survive this? I don't know what to do next. And she was just the the, the, she was just expressing it to the rest of the world. And it, it, it made me angry. But this woman did the very thing that I'm telling you Jesus is asking us to do. When she saw my difference, she put her arms out and she asked me to hold it. And she changed the room. She created a space. And not only did I respond to that, but my daughter responded to that. 
My daughter felt the connection. My daughter felt the safety of a person who was like, you can kick and scream, I'm not angry. You can, you know, flail and and spit and do all the things that you're going to do with your preconceived ideas of who you were going to fly across the ocean with. But guess what? I'm here to hold space with you, little girl, and I know you because I've had a lot of granddaughters like you, and frankly, I'm here for it. And I'm going to love you into a place where you can find rest and healing, and wholeness. This is everything Jesus does being done for me and being offered for you. This is what this place is supposed to be, a place that reaches out and holds other people's differences. And no matter how much another's difference, red face, kicks, screams, and tries to reject us, we are all called to try and hold that space for them. We are called to pour out not every ounce of our tongues or our wisdom or our knowledge or our skills or, or our sermons. None of that stuff matters if it isn't being poured through the filter of love. That is the only things. It translates languages. It translates uh, cultures. It translates uh, economic differences. It translates across the board to every single creature God has ever made. And that's why Paul is saying, hey, be a part of the body. Do your job. Do it. Stop not serving in the church. Stop not giving. Stop not engaging. Stop not participating. Plug in. And I'm just going to say this too, because I told you we were going to go off the rails. Some of you have been hurt by church, and I get it, and I've been there. And this one will do the same. But you still have a responsibility, because there are people in this church that you were made to love, and if you don't do the job you were supposed to, somebody else has to show up and love them. And you can love. You can do all those things, but if we don't do it in the name of love, then none of it will matter. For this is what unity costs. We will all do life with people who have opposing opinions about the lines we draw or don't draw. We will all do life with people who have opposing opinions about the people we will sit with or stand for. We will all do life with people who will have opposing opinions about the people we choose to include or exclude. And we will all do life with people who have opposing opinions about the topics we choose to highlight or, or lowlight. Hold those spaces with love. And when it feels almost unbearable, when you're like, I, I don't know if I can keep holding the space. I just want to correct them. I want to teach them. I, I, want to, I want to submit them. I want them to understand it. And when those people start to just kick and flail and you think you have to let go of, the only thing you have to do, the only thing you have to do is recognize that this is still the more excellent way that Jesus loves you. And that you and I are still kicking and still screaming and I am still red-faced telling him this series has brought me nothing but angst. And he's like, Danny, I got you. And I'm like, I don't want to be God. And he's like, I know. And he speaks to me how he does. And he holds me how he does. And eventually I rest. And that's what this place is supposed to be. A place filled with people who can rest in the arms of Christ, not buy into the brand of a pastor or a church structure that's perfect or anything else. Just rest in the arms of Christ. And if I can do that with Jesus and I can teach
teach that from the stage or I can teach that over a napkin at coffee if I can do it with my children and with my neighbors and with people I don't even know. And I'm doing what God's asked me to do. And I can rest in his arms knowing it and so can you. This, I believe, is what Kess is supposed to be. I keep telling you. It doesn't matter about the style or the sound or that the bass is too loud or the lights are too bright. What matters is that we are a place where people can come and exhale knowing I belong here. I'm different, but I belong here. And so for those of you, once again, who have never belonged, welcome home. God built this for you. For those of us who have been a part of the church for a long time, I'm just here to tell you there's so much more if we will just set down our agenda and embrace his. For love, love is where we're going. I'm gonna ask you to bow your head and close your eyes and we're just gonna take a minute to reflect. Once again, not on anybody else, not on how this sermon could impact others, not on how... Um, this would be great for so-and-so who bothers us, but God, just for us, just for our hearts. Lord, I'm gonna pray that there is a strong sense of, of feeling at home here, feeling at home enough to be convicted, to be confronted, to be wrestled with. A home that we get to be our full personality, a home where we can learn what it means to sit in wholeness with you, a home where we can where we can be at peace in our inner person and our outer person, a home where we can know that others will let us down, but you never will. Lord, I thank you for being that home. I thank you for how you love us and for who you offer, for your son, for his work. We just lift this time of reflection to you in Jesus' name. Amen. He is jealous for me. Love's like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory And I realize just how beautiful you are And how great your affections are for me And oh, how he loves us so Oh, how he loves us how he loves us so Love like a 
the grace in his life If grace is an ocean We're all sinking yeah. And so heaven meets earth Like an officer kissing my heart Turns violently inside of my chest